Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we discuss a busy week in golf, including the Distance Insights Report and its backlash, as well as wins for DJ and Kepka. We also chat to Wolf founder, Bill Army. guys it's brooks kepka uh, i just wanted to welcome you guys to the golf monthly podcast hello and welcome to the clubhouse brought to you in association with titleist the number one ball in golf for more visit titleist.co.uk hello and welcome to the clubhouse my name is tom clark and this week i'm joined by elliot heath how you doing elliot hello tom yeah good to be back yeah thanks to our, our listeners for tuning in last week back up the charts which was really nice had a, a lovely itunes review as well so yeah, very good to get back into the swing of things. How are you? Yeah, all good. I'm sitting in, uh, looking out my window at loads of snow falling. So um, it may be depressing that we're not allowed to play golf, but we couldn't play golf anyway. But you, you're saying you haven't got any snow, Elliot? No, uh, maybe like light sleet at the moment. But yeah, sorry, kind of missed it, which was a bit of a shame. Essex is uh, yeah, Essex is under quite a lot. So, um, busy podcast this week. We're here from Rory McIlroy, which should be great, about his thoughts on the uh, proposals about changes to gear. But we also are going to hear from Will Ahmed, who is the founder of Whoop, the fitness wearable that um, got a lot of headlines last year after, was it Nick Watney discovered they had COVID because of, uh, the, because of uh, the reading that he got from his armband? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that prompted, I think, the PGA Tour to to give the, the wearables to all of its players, all of its officials. Uh, and I think they've just signed a deal this year, which Will obviously talks about in, in a very fascinating interview. So, yeah, look forward to that, listeners. It's um, just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so uh, we'll be hearing from him uh, a little bit later on. We're just going to start with a really fantastic weekend of golf with two Huge winners, two of the biggest winners, really. Uh, DJ and Kepka both won. Saudi International, Dustin Johnson won his second event there. He's finished first, second, first day. I think he quite likes that course, doesn't he? Um, he finished at 15 under to beat Justin Rose and Tony Finau by two. He's now won 28 times as a professional. Of course, he's world number one. And he's got quite a lead now as well. Huge three and a half points, which is a lot in the world rankings. He was very impressive, wasn't he? Yeah, um, classic DJ, really. It's um, brilliant to see him carrying on from where he left off last year, which is just playing out of this world golf. Uh, to be fair, he didn't play that well in the final round. I think it was actually his worst round in the Saudi International in, in 12 rounds, but it was still good enough to get the job done. Just a, a pleasure to watch him, really, I think. Yeah, I mean, when you say about uh, DJ's form at Saudi, I mean, when you say it's his worst round ever, it was 68. <laughs> so it's not so bad, is it? He's, you know, he's played there twelve times, and that's his worst ever. I'd say he obviously does yeah. Um, yeah, he was uh, playing with Soren Kelton as well, and he was uh, probably fifty or sixty yards longer than him off the tee every time. And it's just a different game at that level, isn't it? Yeah, he, he, he's really impressive, and he's he looks like he's going from strength to strength. You know, I think winning the Masters has given him so much confidence. You know, he's he's miles ahead, isn't he? Really, yeah. of the rest of the world at the moment. Yeah, this is kind of like the biggest gap I've seen really in, in the last few years. Three and a half points. I don't know how long he's going to keep that for, but you would think he's safe for at least another six months, which means um, another 25 weeks at the top of the world, which means 140 weeks odd. McElroy's down at, not down, but he's just behind him at 103, I think. So really start to stretch his lead there and start to kind of create records. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was a, a really good event for a few golfers as well. Justin Rose, obviously, just finishing second, but a good return to form for him. Oh, that was brilliant to see, yeah. Um, a very quiet last sort of 18 months for Rose after reaching the world number one position. Uh, I think he's up to 34th in the world now. Um, obviously, needs a really big year for the Ryder Cup, even though he would get captain's pick anyway, you would think, but it's really good to see him back in form. A brand new set of Mizuno irons in the bag as well, which was um, quite a big story for the, the equipment guys. Um, so, yeah, and then Tony Finau second. I said last week, didn't I? It's worth looking at Tony Finau because he, he doesn't win tournaments, but he's always up there. And 
yeah, just another fantastic player that I think we'll see at the Ryder Cup. Um, let's hope he gets a win soon. Yeah, and you're right. If Rose coming back into form is is good. It's great for everything, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's got a busy year uh, and a big year. You know, he's obviously he's um, was a gold medalist in the Olympics. At the moment, he's not going to be going to the Olympics to uh, defend his title. So he needs to have a very good next couple of months if he's going to get into contention for that. Um, and of course, the Ryder Cup, where he's been um, such a strong pillar of helping Europe's success. You know, he's, he's great a pairing with Henrik Stenson as well. You know, at the moment, neither of them look like they're going, but um, hopefully that will change going forward. And Fina as well, it's, I feel sorry for him. He just can't <laughs> like, can he? They, I feel I, sorry for someone that's got about 20 million in the bank, Tom. Well, he's 14th in the world now. He hasn't, hasn't, I'm looking at the World Rankings website. He hasn't had a World Rankings victory since 2016. But he's had he's had so many top tens. It's ridiculous. He's had something like twenty five or something like that. It's it's mad, isn't it? It's mad. Yeah. I over that. I think it's close to thirty. So you know, it's his last few his last few results: second, second, fourth, thirty first, eighth. You know, he's playing so well, isn't he? Why can't he get over the line? Oh, it's um, it's elite sport, isn't it? It's like you know, being an Arsenal fan. <laughs> We've been such a good team for so long, but we. We couldn't quite get over the line, and now it's uh, gone the complete opposite way. And I hope that Tony Finau doesn't do an Arsenal, I guess, and become mid-table. It's going to take a lot for him to reach that next level and and hold those winning putts down the stretch. But I don't know. Maybe he's played all of his best golf, and that's it. Or maybe he can push on. I mean, he's got so much experience playing in final group, playing in contention on the back nine on Sunday. You would think that it's going to hold him in good stead for the future, but. You know, golf's such a, a tough game to be consistent at. Let's just hope in a year or so he doesn't look back at these last couple of years and think, oh, God, I wish I'd, I'd won a few of those and had my future secure. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Also, it's good to hear your depression about Arsenal. Uh, between, the t- between the pair of us, an Arsenal fan and a Liverpool fan, uh, we shouldn't really talk about football, should we, at the moment? So. <laughs> no, um, please. One other person, well, there's two other people which we could talk about at Saudi International very quickly. You haven't mentioned Victor Hovland yet, Elliot. Why not? Another top 10 from him. He's he's on fire as well, isn't he, at the moment? He's 13th in the world. Now, talking of, of fantastic players, you know, last week I said, I can't believe he's 12th in the world already. Well, he finished sixth this week and actually dropped a world ranking, but he's he's very impressive, isn't he? Yeah, he was still an amateur when Tony Finau last won, and he now has more PGA Tour titles than Finau. He's also gone up to ninth in the European Ryder Cup qualification, which means he is on the team as things stand automatically. And I also noticed that he played with Ian Poulter as well, and uh, there's a good picture of those two. I put it on social. But wouldn't you love to see those two out on Friday morning at Whistling Straits? Um, It seems like... Europe always do it, don't they, where they kind of pair players together to get them familiar with each other. And maybe that's um, one that Harrington's eyeing up for September. Well, well, whether Poulter's playing or he's a captain, he's um, he's going to be he's going to be part of that team, isn't he? So I'm sure Poulter was taking a very close look at Hovland and I'm sure he's very impressed by his performance as well. So um, again, oh, it's very exciting to talk about the Ryder Cup. Let's hope everything works out well. We get fans there. Um, and talking of fans, great segue there, I'm sure. We're used to a very raucous Phoenix Open, and it was reasonably raucous every now and then, um, as Brooks Kepka chipped in for a stunning eagle at the 17th to win his eighth PJ Tour title last night. It was his first win in over 18 months since the 2019 WGC FedEx and Invitational. He beat Xander Schauffele and KH Lee by one shot. Um, there were some big headlines as well from Jordan Spieth, who shot 10 under in the third round and finished fourth. And, um, you know, it was great to see him come back to some form. And also, really great to see Steve Stricker at something like 52 years of age con- uh, contending. Uh, Rory, who I saw hilariously get booed on the 16th. Did you see that when he, when he, got a bo- when he shot a bogey? <laughs> was that on Friday? I think it was Friday or Saturday. He got he got booed so badly for making bogey. 
<laughs> yeah, didn't he miss like a three-footer? And he just looked absolutely furious, probably thinking to himself, why on earth have I decided to play in this tournament for the first time? <laughs> this is why I've never played in it before. Well, he, he shot 64 in the final round to finish 13th. So, again, he, he played pretty solid. And um, But it was it was good to see a bit of normality in Phoenix. And Kepka was very impressive, I thought. Um, I actually had some money on it as well earlier. I mentioned that to you earlier. So, did I tip him last week in the podcast? Yeah, you did. And I said, I don't think he's ready to win a golf tournament yet. But 50 to 1 is tempting. And obviously, it tempted you. Yeah, funny how you don't mention, didn't mention that. Um, that you mentioned Fee now, but you didn't mention Kepka. Yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, no Kepka was. It's great to see him playing well again. Um, the chip in on seventeen uh, was 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 a brilliant shot, and um, he just held off the rest of the field, didn't he? Um, it was it was a bit weird. Do you think? Did you think find it a bit weird with the sixtieth hole and seeing fans again? Uh... No, it kind of feels normal. Um, we had them back at the Houston Open, and I think there's been a, a couple other tournaments. But yeah, it would be amazing to see that tournament next year with with a full packed crowd. McIlroy said in his press conference that he is um, like kind of bedding himself in this year. He really wants to experience a full Phoenix Open, albeit he, he won't want to bogey the 16th again. But um, yeah, I thought it was good. The fans are just incredible. I remember Spieth holing two amazing putts on 16 and 17 on Saturday afternoon and, and yeah they went wild it was uh yeah great to see yeah it, was, it really was so uh um no and, and, and it's just been great to see some golf and get try and get back to normality and uh, I think it's all keeping us going uh, especially as I look out the window it's snowing really hard now is it oh, golf seems an awful long way away from where I'm sitting at the moment so stick with it everybody enjoy the pro golf and the amazing skill that they show and um Fingers crossed we'll be out there soon. Um, so we spoke about Roy McIlroy quickly there, and uh, Roy made a lot of headlines before the event when at the end of a press conference, he suddenly kind of interjected and kind of gave, went on a bit of a rant about the proposed equipment changes that the RNA have made. So uh, thanks to the PJ Tour over let us share this bit of audio that you're about to hear. You can't believe no one asked me an equipment question. Uh, well, we can, we, can, we can open back up the mics again if you Sure, I'm, I'd be here all day for that. Rory, what did you think? What, what was your... Thank you, Adam. Take on, Thank what you. What was your take on the equipment? So, I think... So, I think the authorities, or the RNA and the USJ, are looking at the game of golf through such a tiny little lens that... You know, what they're trying to do is is change something that pertains to 0.1% of the golfing community. 99.9% of people that play this game play it for enjoyment. They play it for entertainment. They They don't need to be told what ball to use or clubs to use. I mean, we have to make the game as easy and as approachable as possible for the majority of golfers. So I honestly, I think this Distance Insights report is honestly, it's been a huge waste of time and a huge waste of money because that money that it's cost to do this report could have been way better distributed to getting people into the game, introducing younger kids to the game, introducing minorities to the game. That's, I heard Mike Davis say something about, you know, we're trying to protect the game for the next hundred years. This isn't how you do it. This is not by, doing this is so it's so small and so inconsequential compared to the other things that are happening in the game it's 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 the grassroots it's getting more people engaged in golf that's the that's where they should be spending their money not spending it on the distance insights report thank you for asking the question <laughs> should there be a situation where you guys where the professionals play by different or local rules so I, yeah, so I would be all for that. If they want to try to make the game more difficult for us or more um, try to incorporate more skill to the game, yeah, I, I would be all for that because I think it only benefits the better player, which I feel like I am. So, but what, it's just not a, and I think maybe they said that in terms of like local rules and maybe some sort of bifurcation, but we are such a tiny portion of golf. Like, golf is way bigger than the professional game. Golf is, like, 
like we're such a tiny part of it. It's, it's the other stuff that really matters and that's the stuff they need to concentrate on. So there you go, strong words from Rory McIlroy. A huge waste of time and money is the quote, Elliot. Do you agree with Rory? Well, firstly, I, I love Rory. I love hearing from him. I think he's just so refreshing to hear a professional sportsman of that um, stature speak with such frank honesty. And I think he has the game of golf at his heart. He wants the best for the game of golf. Uh, I don't know if he wants to grow the game of golf, but he certainly sounds like he does there, especially saying that they should spend their money on introducing young people and minorities to the game, which I don't think anyone could disagree with. I remember watching it live and I was just like, wow, this is just another classic Rory press conference. He's, um, yeah, just, you, you've got to listen to him. He's box office. Uh, is he right? Oh, I don't know. He, he really does divide social media. I know that there's always that brigade that want bifurcation. Um, but no, you, you should not make the game harder for amateurs. So yeah, I would, I would say he's right because... I remember Lee Westwood saying last year or the year before that golf is too hard. <laughs> and quite frankly, it is. If you're a beginner that hasn't played since a, you know, a very young age, you're going to find golf extremely hard. Um, so, yeah, making it tougher is, is a very silly thing to do. And perhaps bifurcation is the way to go and keep it you know, nice, friendly, fun, easy for the amateurs. And like Rory says there, he'd be up for it, making it harder for the, the most skilled players in the world. I love the way that people go, oh, we want to make it still easy for the amateurs. I find it really hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's tough enough as it is. It's, it is tough enough as it is. It's all this, oh, you've got all this great equipment. Well, I wish I could hit the ball in the right, right postcode sometimes. But um, the, the proposed changes which the uh, the reports come out with, they say that they're looking into is reducing the maximum driver shaft length to 46 inches, which I, I find that I'm quite annoyed by that one because it just seems to be just changing it because of, Bryson to Shambo. <laughs> really, I don't really understand why that's that big of a, an issue. Um, but also changing the testing procedures for golf balls and the spring effect on club faces. So they're going to be looking at everything and a lot of people aren't happy with, with them even proposing this stuff. Justin Thomas said that the governing bodies were extremely selfish. Whilst uh, Webb Simpson said the equipment's not the problem, it's the course design. And actually we should be changing the way that the courses are designed. Um, I really disagree with Webb Simpson um, because there's some fantastic course layouts out there and they're being eaten up at the moment with what's going on, um, whether that's Augusta or St Andrews or wherever it is. And some some new course designs could maybe try and get a bit more creative in how they stop distance overpowering them but um i, I really don't agree with uh, web simpson at all there whether whether people think that these proposed changes are a good thing for golf or not i do think rory has a very good point about you know how much money are they going to waste on these changes which is all you know it's all inside the game it's in an echo chamber it's not really helping that many people it's helping or hindering a time percentage uh, and what about putting that money into somewhere to get you know more golf being played whether that's whether that's in the UK or the US or wherever it is uh, in Asia or Africa you know pushing out the game to more places I think that money could be spent wiser but it's a big thing and a lot of people are going to be talking about it for a long long time I don't know when how long this is going to go for or um, whether it's going to be a short thing or a long thing. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on it. But it'd be great to hear your views on it. And you can let us know your thoughts on bifurcation and Rory's comments by contacting us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Monthly or on Facebook at Golf Monthly Magazine. Or, of course, you can email us, golfmonthly at futurenet.com. So do let us know. And um, I think the best comments we'll read out next week. How about that, Elliot? Yeah, definitely. So sticking with this, about courses being obsolete is something that you hear all the time. And it always takes me back to Sunningdale, which is, um, I don't know off the top of my head, but something like 7,000, maybe 6,900 yards. To get European tour pros playing Sunningdale, you would have to go back to prehistoric times because the technology that they have available now with uh, the launch monitors, with gyms and equipment and how athletic these golfers are. Realistically, these courses 
they're, they're long gone. There's nothing they can really do to rein them back, I don't think. And as Rory says, it's literally the 0.01% of golfers. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's, 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 it's a lot of money for, for it's interesting you say that Elliot, because also there's going to be some people who say you know what if they shoot really low around these golf courses what's the problem there you know actually that's just people getting better at golf or um, is there actually that a problem with people shooting low 60s every time they go and play somewhere like something is that a problem no like wentworth as well it has um four par fives but realistically only two of them are actually par fives when the pros turn up so yeah, could you just play an event with all par fours, turn the par fives into par fours? They always say that, well, even Bryson, look, he said at Augusta, it's a par 67 for me. There's no par fives. So what's the point of even calling them par fives for professionals? Um, I, sh- I shot a lot more than 67 when I played Augusta. Just had to mention I played Augusta. Yeah. What, on the front line? <laughs> exactly. You tell me. <laughs> We're speaking a lot about technology and the changes that the army have been uh, proposing, but there has been other technology that we've seen in the game of golf, which has definitely had a positive effect. And as mentioned earlier, uh, we spoke to Whoop founder and CEO Will Ahmed. Uh, he spoke to Golf Monthly editor Mike Harris all about the incredible Whoop wristband, which um, the PJ Tour have really embraced and um as we mentioned before it helped nick watney discover that he had covid because of uh, i think it was was it heart rate thing that that changed uh, i think it was respiratory rate or something oh. i'm not a massive fitness guy myself so uh this is all very educational and new to me um as you know tom i'm a bit of a, a large golfer <laughs> <laughs> you're always not wrong but i can't talk for myself either but um so Mike uh, spoke to Will all about the wearable. So do check out this really decent bit of audio that we're getting now. So Will Ahmed from Welcome to the Golf Monthly podcast for for Golf Monthly listeners. Um, Whoop is the hot fitness wearable. There's been a lot of guys out on tour: Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, a whole host of guys on the PGA and European tour who've been wearing Whoop for a number of years now. Whoop has got uh, great strength in, in all sports, whether it's basketball, uh, American football, and athletics. Uh, but obviously, we're here to talk about golf with Will. But Will, tell us a little bit about how the whole concept for Whoop came about. Mike, thanks for having me on. You know, uh, our mission at Whoop is really to unlock human performance. And generally, we believe that if you can continuously monitor the body, you can tap into individual potential and you can really help people understand their bodies to perform at a higher level. I got into the space personally because I was always into sports and exercise. I was uh, playing squash while I was at Harvard. So I was a 20 year old college athlete and I felt like I didn't know what I was doing to my body while I was training. And I was an athlete who used to overtrain. So you get fitter and fitter and fitter, and then you kind of fall off a cliff and you don't really know why. Other athletes got injured or misinterpreted fitness peaks, um, didn't understand sleep or recovery. So I just got very interested in physiology and in training and in performance on a personal level. And I did a lot of physiology research while I was at Harvard. I read something like 500 medical papers while I was in school. And I ultimately wrote a paper myself around how to continuously monitor the human body. And that would have been 2011, 2012 timeframe. And I founded the company uh, before I had graduated uh, in 2012. And really the initial focus was to create technology that could help the world's best athletes perform at a higher level. Now today, Whoop is fortunate to work with everyone from the world's best athletes to everyday executives and, and uh, general consumers who want to understand their health and improve their health. I think for people listening to this, asking themselves, well, what's the difference between Whoop and other products on the market? The core thing that Whoop does better than anyone else is that we change behavior and we improve health. So if you wear Whoop for a year, you will have a lower resting heart rate, you'll have a higher heart rate variability, you'll get higher quality sleep, you'll change probably three or four things about your lifestyle or your behavior, 
And a lot of that comes back to the accuracy with which we collect data and the feedback loop that we provide to you. Whoop is designed to be a 24-7 life coach to help you understand what you need to do. And, uh, and it's been quite successful in golf, which we've seen over the past few years. Yeah, and, and well, obviously, you've mentioned some of the um, you know, range of people who, who would be using Whoop. And it is, as you say, everybody from elite athletes, people right at the top of the game, obviously in golf, guys like Rory and JT and through to people in, in business as well. So there is no one typical Whoop user. Um, you're obviously seeing the you know, number of users grow all the time. Are there any areas that you're seeing particular growth in? Any sports that are you know, really standing out where you're starting to get more and more traction? Well, I will say Whoop has exploded in golf you know, in the last two or three years. Uh, we had noticed that Whoop organically was growing on the PGA Tour. I think this probably started with golfers like Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, uh, Dustin Johnson, like they started wearing it. And then all of a sudden it was probably, you know, 60% of the top 20 golfers in the world were wearing whoop. And then, um, and then it was probably about 75% of PGA tour players were wearing it and mind you we didn't have relationships with any of these guys they just were getting value out of the product and what happened from there is uh you know the pga tour was one of the very first sports in america to come back to playing in 2020 right during COVID 19 and so they were figuring out their bubble protocol and all of these different procedures and one golfer nick watney uh, who had been on Whoop for about 10 months, discovered that he had COVID-19 through the Whoop app. Uh, Whoop had done a lot of research around a statistic called respiratory rate, respiratory rate being breaths per minute. And it just so happens that breaths per minute for any human being is a very steady, very consistent metric. It really never changes. And so Nick, for about 10 months, had the same respiratory rate every day. And he showed up to the golf tournament on a Tuesday. He tested negative on Tuesday, which meant he was admitted into the bubble for the golf tournament. And he plays in the tournament on Thursday. And then Friday, he wakes up on Whoop, and he's got this red recovery. He's got terrible sleep analysis, and he's got a... Uh, a respiratory rate that's very elevated so mike you know for 10 months flat respiratory rate then all of a sudden this thing jumps off the page and we had published research at this point on how respiratory rate could be a predictor and and nick had read that research because we we sent it out to all of our members you know this is how you can use whoop right now during the global pandemic and so Nick actually took the initiative to go to the doctors and say, hey, you need to test me again. And believe it or not, they, they had said, look, you're cleared to play. You don't need to be tested. And so he had to actually kind of twist their arm to get tested again. And, uh, and sure enough, he tested positive and uh, was able to drop out of the event. And so the PGA Tour learned of this whole story. And as a consequence, they procured over 1,000 whoop straps, not just for every professional golfer, but every caddy, every media member, uh, the staff, right, really everyone in the bubble, so that they could use whoop data in part to measure respiratory rate as a predictor. And uh, so that was, you know, in roughly the June, July timeframe. And at that point, you know, 80 or 90% of the guys were wearing it. And over the course of 2020, we talked to the PGA Tour about how how Whoop uh, and the PGA Tour could really partner in a big way uh, beyond just the golfers wearing it. And so that's where uh, our announcement more recently comes from. Whoop has become the official wearable of the PGA Tour, which uh, I would say has two kind of core uh, two core strategies behind it. The first is uh, player health and performance making sure that all the players are able to use Whoop data to perform better. And the second is Whoop Live integration, which is going to allow Whoop to create replays of real golfing events uh, with player heart rate 
during the moments in time where a player does a successful shot or a heroic shot. So it's going to be a pretty, pretty cool, pretty innovative partnership. Uh, the both categories, the health data and the, the live broadcast, broadcast data have never been done before. So we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, that was really cool when Till Hatton won um, just recently out in Abu Dhabi. And he said in his post uh, round interview, I'm going to share my whoop data later. And, and to see how his heart rate increased and decreased during the course of that final round, to see how it peaked, obviously right at the, you know, uh, money moment when he had to hold that putt was just fascinating to see his heart rate peak right up at 161 beats per minute, which obviously, you know, he's a, you know, like all these guys are, they are athletes, but to see that heart rate elevated so high obviously shows the, the intensity of, you know, of the sport at that moment in time. And that is, that's a unique insight that you're able to offer, isn't it, Will? It is. And for people wondering exactly what it is that WHOOP does, um, we really measure strain, recovery, and sleep. And this idea of balancing strain and recovery is pretty important to optimal performance. So if you have a low recovery, which is a sign that your body is run down, you'd want to put less strain or stress on your body. If you have a high recovery on whoop, you want to take on more strain, more stress. And it's trying to find that balance in your, in your daily life. And so WHOOP effectively coaches you across those two paradigms. And then WHOOP also is the most accurate sleep monitor on the market. So we'll measure everything about the time you spend in bed, your quality of sleep, slow wave sleep, REM sleep. That's really where you're getting a lot of the benefit of, of sleep. And in turn, WHOOP can help you understand what are the sort of right set of behaviors or decisions that I can um, make to improve my sleep uh, every every night, and uh, and so that can be pretty powerful for for golfers, athletes, and individuals alike. And I think one of the really interesting things I've just started using Whoop, and it is absolutely fascinating. It gives you uh, an unparalleled insight into into how your body's performing. But one of the things that I've been really interested in is the level of information that you're sharing with with users. Obviously, the level of research. Um, it's not just here's all the data you've got to interpret it yourself. And interesting for you to say, uh, Will, how Nick Watney had taken the initiative to read that research that you'd published. And, the, you know, I think, as you said in other podcasts, that, you know, you provide the data and help people make those informed choices. And you can normally see if you make a good choice that, you know, you either get better sleep or you've got a better recovery score or your HRV is, you know, it, it is better. Um, but ultimately, it's the individual that's accountable for, for their behavior, isn't it? That's absolutely right. You know, in the case of professional golfers, they really undergo, I think, a lot more stress than they're given credit for. These are individuals who are traveling from time zone to time zone to time zone. They are playing golf for eight hours a day sometimes they'll often do stuff in the gym they'll often have to deal with media so it's a very long amount of time to be sort of under pressure if you will and and even the psychological stress of golf i think is pretty underrated you know you just mentioned a a, a professional golfer having a heart rate of 160 beats per minute just because he was nervous in the moment you know that that's what it's like to be in contention and I've heard that from, you know, the guy who's 100 in the world and the guy who's number one in the world. So it's not, uh, it's not just unique to, to any one player. It's, it's a phenomenon for all of professional golf. And the other thing is that these guys are realizing how much recovery plays a role in their performance. Uh, to quote Rory, the difference between the number one golfer in the world and, and the number 100 golfer is like, on average, a shot around. You know, there's not a big gap there, really. And every little thing that you can do, um, many of which actually happen to be off the golf course, can make a huge, huge difference. And so we're now seeing a lot of the top golfers really investing in sleep and recovery as a way to have an edge. And, uh, and it makes all the sense in the world. And, and one of the things, Will, that I was really interested 
to hear you talk about and again obviously from your insight of working with these top players particularly in golf is the level of collaboration in professional golf it's not you know it, it's very much the golfer against the golf course sure there are 150 other guys uh, in the field each week but they've actually been really collaborative and you've seen that firsthand haven't you can you tell us a little bit about that insight that you've been able to to gain about how golfers do collaborate and share ideas and obviously you know it seems to have become um you know inspirational for a lot of golfers to to try whoop because they've seen guys like rory and jt using whoop you know i've i've been fortunate to get to work now with professional athletes in virtually every sport and the thing that's quite unique about professional golf is how collaborative it is you know the the golfers will actually talk to each other about things that they're doing to play better they don't view that as a secret they want to keep to themselves in fact they want to they want to tell each other about it um like justin thomas got on whoop because rory told him to get on whoop and at the time they were like number one and three in the world right and you compare golf for example to a sport like tennis where these guys are are truly playing one another you don't see that same level of collaboration my sense is that nadal is not calling federer at night and saying hey you should try this new tool i've found uh because they, their focus is beating each other whereas i get the sense in professional golf it's about beating the course yeah. versus beating each other and that's a that's just a different it's a different mindset towards the game and in a way it makes um, it makes the culture of professional golf more accessible, and especially if you're creating a product that's catered to golfers, that's how it can grow organically very fast, like like it did with Whoop, is because they were all wearing it and talking about it. I've also had the uh, the pleasure of being inside a number of these uh, PGA Tour bubbles, and it's a little bit like joining a country club with a hundred of the best golfers in the world. It's just, you know, it's just you and the golfers. There's no one else there. Right. And, and some media members and maybe a few staff. So I've, I've had the pleasure of, of sitting in the locker room, you know, while they're, uh, they're, they're getting ready to go play or practice. And I've sort of felt that firsthand, just the way they talk to each other. There's a bit of a buddy, buddy vibe. And I've also seen it with Whoop, which is cool, where, you know, I've had lunch with five or six of the best golfers in the world, and they'll just take out their phone and be showing each other their recovery last night and, and uh, you know, um, how well they slept. And John Rahm asking Tony Finau how he was able to get so many hours of sleep and why am I bad at REM sleep. And, you know, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic that it's so open. And, um uh, and I think in a lot of ways, it's it's a special thing about golf. Yeah, absolutely. And well, one of the other things that I think a lot of people will be really surprised to hear is, you know, in this world of elite professional sports where there are big endorsements from, from manufacturers, from apparel brands, I'm right in saying that Whoop does not pay any golfer to wear Whoop. Or, uh, I mean, do you pay any any athletes, any teams, or is it all just they buy into the tech and what it can buy can bring them back you know from the earliest days of the company we said that we would never have true sponsorship deals because if the if the technology lived up to its value the best athletes in the world would want to wear whoop and in fact they would probably pay for it because of the value you'd be able to provide and if the value of the tech wasn't there there was no amount of money that we could play a professional athlete to wear it if they didn't, you know, re really see the benefits because wearing something 24 seven is an enormous, enormous ask. And so for us, it's been, um, it's been a product strategy to not pay athletes. Now, obviously if you're going to use an, an individual's name and likeness in a, you know, a television advertisement or something, okay, that that's a sort of a different story. But we do not pay athletes to wear whoop. They wear whoop because they they like it authentically. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that obviously it was very visible uh, in terms of the uh, the wrist strap. You're now evolving the product, aren't you? There's a there's a bicep band. 
where is and i've heard you talk about it on other podcasts that that there's very much the balance of you know uh the aesthetics that you know of having you know a cool bit of tech that's visible plus on the other hand people wanting perhaps it not to be so visible and to be less intrusive where is where's sort of whoop and the future of wearables going when you look at when you look at that where does it have to be on the body to be able to measure those key statistics that go into driving your recovery score and the strain score it's my belief that wearable technology should either be cool or invisible right and a lot of wearable technology is kind of stuck in the middle it's not something that you particularly want to wear and obviously people can see it and so that's that's this interesting and and sort of diametrically opposed paradigm that we like to play on which is how can you make this a piece of technology that you're willing to dress up and be proud to be wearing it says something about who you are or how can it just completely disappear on your body and so that's how whoop thinks about wearable technology in the athletic realm obviously having a sensor be able to live in other areas of the body can be valuable for athletes right a uh, a professional golfer may or may not want to wear something on his wrist um, and in some sports, they don't want to wear it, uh, you know, even on their arm. So that's an area that we're doing a lot of research around and, uh, and you'll continue to see us invest in. Okay, so watch this space for, for, for where Whoop might be or, or the applications for it in the future by the sound of things. Um, I, and I think, you know, as we've talked about, Will, that obviously for, for the very best athletes in the world, and for the best golfers, particularly, as you say, they're doing a lot of uh, travel. They've got very intense if schedules, whether it's practice, play, media commitments. The sort of benefits of, of really understanding your body, I think, are very, you know, very obvious there. But what do you believe Whoop can offer the recreational golfer who's looking to improve and looking for that? maybe that sort of extra um, improvement in a game that doesn't require them rebuilding their swing from scratch. You know, how, how can Whoop benefit the average golfer? I think the biggest value that uh, and any of us get on Whoop is really for the first time understanding sleep. And for, for sort of the recreational enthusiast listening to this, who doesn't measure your sleep, it's really a black box and it's a third of your life that you, you don't understand. And I think that's a shame. If you ask someone who doesn't measure their sleep, how much sleep did you get last night? They'll say, I went to bed at 11 and I woke up at six. So I, I got seven hours of sleep. And the problem with that is really they just spent seven hours in bed. And as you probably know, Mike, by now from wearing whoop, seven hours in bed doesn't mean seven hours of sleep. Within that period of time in bed of seven hours, they spent time when they were awake, they spent time in light sleep, REM sleep, and slow wave sleep. Now, awake and light are virtually useless. They're not doing much for your body to recover, to repair, to build. Whereas REM and slow wave sleep, that's where all the magic happens. REM sleep is when your mind is repairing, so cognitive repair. That's when you're dreaming, for example. So if you're someone who can't remember dreams or never seems to have dreams, you're probably not getting enough REM sleep. And super important for, for people who need to function at a high, high cognitive level. You know, anyone really needs to function at a high cognitive level. If you're going to be under a lot of stress, you certainly want a lot of REM sleep. And slow wave sleep, that's when your body produces about 95% of its human growth hormone. So this idea that you get stronger in the gym is really false or you get stronger training or practicing is really false you you actually break muscles down in that process and then you rebuild them later during slow wave sleep and so rem and slow wave sleep are really where you get all the benefit and now let's go back to the person who spent seven hours in bed you can spend seven hours in bed and you can get 30 minutes combined of rem and slow wave sleep which is really not a lot or you could get five and a half hours of REM and slow wave sleep. And mind you, I'm not talking about spending more time in bed. I'm not saying we need to steal from this and give to this, right? 
because a lot of people will, will say time allocation is one of the challenges for their sleep. All I'm saying is how do we make the time that you spend in bed more effective? And if you go from being someone who gets an hour of REM, REM and slow wave a night to two hours of REM and slow wave a night, it will dramatically change your life. I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating at all. You will be happier. You'll be more productive. You'll perform at a higher level. It's a, it's an amazing thing. And so that's one of the, the massive, massive areas that, that whoop can be helpful. I like to say you can't really manage what you don't measure. So you need to measure REM and slow wave sleep to understand how well you're doing at it. And what are the little things you can tweak? Often it's a few small changes and you get all this enormous benefit. So that's what I would encourage anyone listening to this to, uh, to think about is, is how can I peer into that black box of sleep? And, and well, what are some of the things that, that you've seen with your team researching? Uh, and obviously there's a journal feature on, on Whoop, so users are able to identify what they're doing day to day that might be you know, a, 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 a factor that's either improving or um, reducing the effectiveness of their sleep. What, what are the things that, that everybody can do to um, have better sleep habits and, and a better quality of sleep as well. What do you What are you finding? That's the research from from your experts and from speaking to top level athletes. Okay, so things we've seen to improve sleep. First is uh, sleep consistency. So going to bed and waking up at the same time will automatically increase the benefits of your sleep. It helps your body get into more of a circadian rhythm. And going to bed, waking up, same time, this concept of sleep consistency, if you do that every night, that alone will make the quality of your sleep higher. In general, you want your bedroom environment to be great. So most people sleep in too warm of a room. You want to have a colder room. You want to have a very dark room. I like to wear an eye mask. You know, if you're in a hotel that's got weird lights in it or you're traveling, eye masks can help. Um, you want to make sure the air quality is good. Obviously, you want to limit noise. I mean, all those things can, can disrupt uh, your sleep. Most people, this isn't everyone, but near, you know, nearly all people are better off eating over three hours before going to bed. As you start eating two hours, even one hour before bed, that, uh, that digestion can screw up the quality of your sleep. Alcohol, unfortunately, uh, is really bad for sleep. Uh, and it can be as little as one drink for someone to have it disrupt their sleep. It varies on a personal basis. I mean, most of the professional golfers, for example, who wear whoop won't have a single glass of alcohol now leading up to the tournament or during the tournament because they see how much it screws up their sleep. Yeah. So, uh, and then the, you know, one other thing is just your sort of general, uh, state of state of mind. Um, you know, if you get in a fight with someone right before bed, if you read the wrong email, uh, those are the things that can, that can also disrupt your sleep in, in, in maybe a very big way. And so you just want to be, you want to be mindful of all these different things. Absolutely. And um, again, interesting to, you know, to, to hear the, uh, some of the, your experts in your team talk about the benefits of, you know, or potential benefits of blue light blocking glasses where everyone's looking at their phones uh, more and more, you know, each day. And obviously in an ideal world, you'd, you'd put your phone away before you go to bed, but um, blue light blocking glasses I heard in, on your podcast when you tatted to Rory that he, he'd used them for, for a while and found benefits. Yeah, I think blue light blocking glasses are terrific. I wear them every night. They have a red tint. You know, it's probably better if you can just be someone who doesn't look at their phone, but I'm running a company. I recognize that I look at my phone, so I use that as a way to uh, to sort of get out of jail free, if you will. Sure. And as you say, the more uh, quality sleep you get, the better you're prepared for, for, the, for the next day. And for recreational golfers, that could be, you know, an important golf competition. And uh, clarity of thought, again, obviously, is you know, is really important. So I think that, you know, the benefits of, of quality sleep are, you know, are, are often overlooked by people. They tend to, as you say, think oh, I had eight hours in bed, but were they, were they a quality eight hours? 
Um, well, obviously, I've heard that, that you're a golfer yourself, very keen golfer. So a few quick fire questions. Tell us, what's your, what's your handicap? What's your index? My index is like a 3.1. Okay, so pretty handy. We wouldn't we want to be playing you for money? Well, it depends a little bit. I think my, my range of scores is probably wider than the average, you know, three or four handicap. Um, I can, I can shoot over, you know, I can shoot under par and I can also shoot, you know, over an 85. So it's, uh, maybe it comes a little bit with a lack of practice as well. How often do you get to play well? 2020, I probably played, uh, 10 rounds, 12 rounds. So not as much as I'd like. Sure. Um, and are you working on an element of your game at the moment, or is it all in you know pretty good shape? What's the what are the strengths and weaknesses of your game? Well, I've always been a uh, been able to drive the ball very far. Uh, in general, I think I hit the ball the ball further than um, than most amateur golfers. I think that a lot of uh, my scoring comes down to short game as is probably the case with all golfers, but it especially feels that way for me. And that's an area where, so I got good at golf when I was maybe 17 or 18 years old and I got down to a, um, a scratch. And then, uh, you know, I was, I was debating whether I wanted to try to play golf in college. I ended up playing squash in college and going to Harvard. And, and um, so, you know, golf became a sport that I would play two months a year in the summer. And then in becoming an entrepreneur, it became even more sporadic over the course of a year. And I probably have hit more golf balls on a golf course than on a golf range in the last 10 years. So that, you know, you just get a sense for the lack of practice that comes with that. And that's where, you know, some days, my chipping feels good and, and my putting feels good. And some days it just doesn't. And I think all I can really blame for that is not investing the time in it. Yeah. Um, and well, who's your favorite golfer of all time? Well, it's hard not to be an enormous fan of what Tiger Woods has accomplished. I mean, I think he pulled the sport forward in a way that transcended the sport. You know, he, he got, everyday fans interested in the sport who otherwise didn't watch golf. He, uh, I think he did a lot for uh, race in this country and, and how golf thinks about race, which I think is terrific. And, uh, and he was exhilarating to watch. I think he still is exhilarating to watch. So, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a, um, a lot of respect, enormous respect for what he's been able to accomplish in his career. Cool. Uh, and final question, Will, if you could, if there's a dream course you could go and play tomorrow, where are you going to play? And which three golfers are you going to take to make up a four ball? Wow, good one. Um, well, I've had the pleasure of playing Augusta once, and I would definitely do that again. And we just were talking about Tiger, so I'd play with Tiger. And um, I'd say I've become friends with Rory and Justin, so I would play with them as well. That'd be a good a, and and who would you pair up with, Will? Who would you like to pair up with? Uh, I don't know about that. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll pair up with uh, Tiger. Okay, pretty cool. Yeah, I, th I don't think you'd go far wrong with with any of them. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and and finally, Will, for our um, for our listeners, where can they find out more about Whoop? Where can they find out how to you know how they can join up? What are the sort of um, membership packages you, you have available? Yeah, so you can check out Whoop at Whoop.com. You can sign up for our membership. Uh, if you use the code Will Ahmed, which is my name, you'll get 15% off a Whoop membership. Uh, and you can sign up for as little as $30. We'll send you a free Whoop Strap 3.0 in the mail. All the, all the memberships come free with, uh, with hardware. So uh, you, you're effectively just paying a subscription every month. And that can be anywhere from $18 a month to $30 a month, depending on what plan you choose. And it's our responsibility at Whoop to keep delivering new insights, new analytics to you over time. 
So Whoop is a much smaller upfront cost than other products. And we ask that you pay a monthly price over time. And of course, if you don't get value out of Whoop, that puts you in a position to cancel too. So we think it's the right business model as well uh, for helping uh, people understand their bodies. It's a understanding your body is a never ending thing. It's not a one time thing. So that's how we think about it. Uh, again, that's whoop.com. You can follow us on social uh, at whoop. I'm at Will Ahmed. Happy to answer questions that people may have. And uh, I also host the Whoop podcast, which is a good resource if you want to learn more about uh, the company or you want to listen to interviews with great golfers, great athletes, great executives, anyone who, who wears Whoop. We do a lot of research as well. So we talk about that on the Whoop podcast. And you can also find the Whoop podcast at whoop.com. Cool. That's great. I can highly recommend the podcast. Some amazing interviews with the likes of Rory and JT, but also people from lots of different other sports and other walks of life. It really is absolutely fascinating. But Will, thank you very much for your time uh, on the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Everybody do check out Whoop. It is an amazing product. I'm loving wearing it. I think there is a lot to offer for recreational golfers. But Will Ahmed, thanks very much for your time. Okay, thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. So welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that bit of audio with Will and Mike. A really interesting bit of um, insight into the wearable and just the things that are changing on tour. These are there's just going to be new technology and new devices available every year, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, it's um, fascinating, especially about the sleep. Like, you know, you you go to bed at eleven o'clock, you wake up at. 7.38 and you think oh I had eight and a half nine hours sleep but it turns out actually I probably didn't so uh, yeah I'm very interested in looking into whoop and um, you know investing in my health and my body I guess which is very popular to do these days it's something that uh, a lot of people enjoy doing and there's obviously a very good reason behind it. Indeed indeed so looking ahead this week we've got one pro event the Pebble Beach Pro-Am which is interesting because there's no actual Pro-Am being actually taking place this year because of COVID. So there won't be endless shots of Bill Murray hitting it into the ocean to watch this week, will there? But there will be world number one Dustin Johnson, who is headlining the field. Last year's runner-up Phil Mickelson is also playing in looking for his sixth Pebble Beach title. And it's also only taking place over two courses this year instead of three, and that's Spyglass Hill and Pebble Beach. Who do you like the look of this week? Yeah, just looking down the odds, KH Lee, who was second in Phoenix, is 140 to 1. I think that's where I would put my £1 each way. What about you? I like the look of Paul Casey, who's 20 to 1. He was second in this tournament a few years ago when Phil Mickelson won. Um, he's obviously just won on the European Tour as well. So at 20 to 1, I think that's pretty decent odds. Obviously, DJ is very much the favourite. 4 to 1, he's obviously very good around Pebble Beach as well. So he's obviously the man to beat. Jordan Spieth, 25 to 1. I still think he's got some work to do in his game, don't you? Yeah, I think he's clearly making good progress, but those 10 birdies and that extremely hot putter on Saturday perhaps masked a few of the driving waves. I think he was last in the field in driving in that round and he shot 10 under. So, um, yeah, he's still got quite a way to go, I think. But still, it's, it's great to see him making cuts again. Yeah, absolutely. And one other person who I'm going to keep mentioning, because hopefully, if I keep mentioning, he'll, he'll turn his form round, is Ricky Fowler. Current world ranking, 63rd. At the moment, he's only playing, I think, in one major this year. Were you aware of that, Elliot? Yeah, I, I knew that he was outside of the Masters, which was a, a massive shock. Yeah, so Fowler, obviously, been a great golfer for so many years. I know, Elliot, you have you think he hasn't quite captured all the time. He hasn't done as well as perhaps his talent has allowed him to. He's, he's won nine titles since he turned pro. And we might not be seeing him at majors, so I'm hoping that maybe he'll get a good week. Maybe this week will, will be the week where he turns his form around, get back close to being the top 50 and, and get those invites to those majors. Because I think he is a good, entertaining player and he's a bit of a fan favourite, isn't he? Especially with the youngsters. So I'd like to see him try and get back to the top of his game. Um, I'm sure we all would. Would you like yeah. to see him play well again? 
Oh, definitely, yeah. He's um, such a great personality. We always used to see massive page views, massive engagement around him. It's uh, yeah, it's just been a shame that he hasn't quite lived up to the hype. I guess he was kind of categorised with Rory McIlroy about eight to ten years ago, and, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. But it would be a surprise to see him at the Ryder Cup, which is quite hard to think about, really, when you say it like that. Yeah, that is tricky. Uh, there's no European Tour event this week. Uh, the next European Tour event is the Qatar Masters, which is on the 11th of March, so quite a few weeks away. So do enjoy the PJ Tour evening viewing if you're watching it in the UK, and um, enjoy the golf as much as you can. Uh, Elliot, thanks for chatting this week. Yeah, thanks, Tom. No probs. And as I said, do get in touch if you've got anything uh, that you want to let us know, especially around the... Uh, post-golf changes so let us know but until next week we'll talk to you then